So we are doing a brand new sermon series. It is called The Way Forward. And the reason that we're doing this is it's good to come back and remember who we are, what we do, why we do, especially as we come on this idea of a church vote that will determine the future of WordServe Church. So The Way Forward is going to cover all of these topics. Uh, we're going to talk about our mission, our values, our vision, our leader, and then the last one is actually going to be We Are WordServe to, to talk specifically about what we do here locally, because this is, this is pretty broad, granted, but we have a specific mission, WordServe, and I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but God has called us to this place and this time for a reason, and so our job is to discern the reason and come alongside what God is already doing. So, to start with, our mission. Once upon a time, I was in the Air Force. I don't know if you knew that. I say it every week. <laughs> this is news to you. So I don't know if you know this, but at one time I was considered a secret agent. Did you know that? I had a mission that was so secret, I didn't even know I had a mission. That's how secret this was. Now, this was exposed because there was one day in the squadron, we had some bad weather, nobody was flying, so we said, hey, let's go out to lunch. And we went into town, and we sat down at lunch, and I sat across from this guy, who I knew fairly well, I thought. Uh, but then, this, in this group of squadron mates, as the, the breakfast comes out, he goes, hey, can I pray for everybody? And that's the reaction we got. You could have heard a pin drop. It's like, oh, that's weird, but okay. You know, because, I mean, you know, you don't know where everybody's coming from. You don't know what they believe. It was just awkward. And so he, pray, he actually prayed a really nice prayer. I was like, cool, all right. Well, th that, that heart rate settled down a little bit. And since I was sitting directly across from him, a conversation picked up after we started eating. And he starts talking about uh, Jesus. He actually said the J word out loud. And I remember, I was a Christian. I grew up in the church, mind you. I had an awakening of faith as I became an adult, and, and then this was a little further down the line. So I knew Jesus. I was a follower of Christ. But when he said it loudly, and oh, by the way, he had one of those voices that was very penetrating, like you could hear it all over the restaurant. I remember physically flinching when he said, Jesus. I was like, and I said, Jesus. <laughs> It's like, man, this guy will not let up. He just keeps talking about this stuff. And, and it was, I'll spare you the whole conversation, but basically by the end of his conversation, he helped me realize that I had a mission that was so secret I didn't know I was on a mission. And that mission is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission is what Jesus gives us. If you ever wonder what is the purpose of the church, why do we do things we do, and what is it that we do, it's the Great Commission. So uh, if you haven't heard of this before, this is an interesting statistic. This is a Barna survey. Now, these are church people, and they are asked, what is the Great Commission? So before I, I go into that, I'm going to take a real quick scientific survey, and this is where you get a chance to talk with me, not just I'm not talking at you. When I say the Great Commission, what are some of the things that pop into your mind? Make disciples. What, what's the other one? Ditto. Anybody else? Preach the gospel. Love like Jesus. All people. Ooh, all people. You mean all people? Even that guy sitting across from me that speaks loudly and obnoxiously? Yeah, so this, this is the Great Commission. Now, 
as you look at this, it might be a little bit hard for you to read, so I'm going to pick apart this, this chart here. This was actually taken in 2014. Now, if you're tracking current Christian, Christian trends, you know that the amount of people who profess to be Christians is going down. In fact, it is less than 50% for the first time since Barna started measuring this in the United States. So the good news is these stats are only getting worse. That's not good news. So here's the stats. Uh, have you heard of the Great Commission was the question that was asked. This giant 51% of church people said no. I've not heard of the Great Commission. What are you doing? What is your mission? It's so secret, they don't even know it. So and here's another one. Uh, 6% on the top. I'm not sure what the Great Commission is. Come around to the lower right-hand side. Yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning. 25%. So that means in 2014, of all the people surveyed who are followers of Christ, there is a whopping 17% who are on mission. 17% of people who are on mission. Now, for any corporation that you've worked with or any school that you're in or any agency you've been a part of, how successful do you think you're going to be with 17% of your workforce on task? Not very. 17% is not a passing grade in anybody's vocabulary. And this is 2014. It's only gotten worse. Folks, we have a mission. Jesus gave his life for it. Jesus commands that as the very last thing he said before he physically departed this earth was the Great Commission. This is what we do. This is why we are the church. So we need to understand the Great Commission. We need to employ the Great Commission because that is our mission. So how do we do this? What does it look like? Well, I want to read the Great Commission for you out of Matthew. It's in uh, Matthew 28 at the end. Now, just to set the stage for what this is, Jesus talking, and uh, oh, I forgot this one, one quote I want to share with you real quick because I found this fascinating. I don't know if you know who Penn and Teller are, the magicians, right? Well, this is Penn. His little picture's in the bottom. This is a quote from Penn, and he's talking about people who share their faith, proselytizing. He says, I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe there's a truck bearing down on you, and, and you don't believe it, then there's a point where I tackle you. <laughs> right. Now, here's what's fascinating about that quote. Penn is an atheist. He doesn't believe in Christ. But he honors the fact that if you do believe it, say something. If you see something, say something. If you believe it, spread the word. Do you really think that this thing called Jesus has salvation in it? Do you really think that there's everlasting life? How much do we have to hate people not to tell them? That is the Great Commission. So, going forward, now we're setting the stage. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now, imagine for just a second from the other perspective. I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. This guy named Jesus comes along and says, follow me. You abandon your business, in some cases your family. You lay down your 401k. You have no income. You're just reliant on whatever you can get. And you decide to follow this guy in the hopes that something great gonna, is going to happen. Now, he is an unusual individual. He is very charismatic. He is influencing people all over. And you start to argue amongst yourselves, hey, this guy is going to be big. And when he gets big, I'm going to be secretary of the treasury. Oh, I'm going to be secretary of defense. Oh, I'm going to be secretary. And you start fighting. And who's going to have this high seat in this kingdom when he overthrows the Romans? And then this whole Jerusalem incident happens. And he's hung on a cross. We just sang about the old rugged cross. 
There is no more shameful, painful, excruciating death. And so everything that you hope for, everything that you work for for the last three years has disappeared. There's nothing. There's no Jesus. There's no seat of power. There's no salary. There's no 401k. And you're probably wondering, what did I just do? And then he comes back. <laughs> but wait, there's more. That's, that's what Jesus said when he came out of the tomb. Was, no, that's not a lightning bolt, right? So there's more because he comes back in this time of resurrection. They're probably thinking, well, wait a minute, and there's hope. If he can come back from death, then now maybe this is when this happens. So the, the, the enthusiasm starts again. There's going to be an overthrow. There's going to be a seat of power. And then he takes him up on a mountainside, and I imagine this is probably what it looked like. It's like, hey, this is the final announcement. You ready for this? And they're like, yes, we are so ready. And he goes, go and make disciples. See ya. Did not see that coming. Did not expect that. Did not want that. But here's where we are. So these are the words that Jesus shares with them in this moment of his departure, his ascension back into heaven. He tells them, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Now, they didn't expect that, but that's exactly Jesus' plan all along. And then for those of you who have been around words for a while, you're going, Bill, you've preached on this before. Yes, yes, I have, because I think mission is important. Bill, when will you stop preaching on the mission of the church when the church does its mission? <laughs> Completely. That's when I'll stop. So stay tuned. There's more. Now, previously when I preached on this, I did an emphasis on one word, go. Because better or, for better or worse, people have capitalized on this word as in go around the world. And so missionaries latch on to this verse. Now, that's not wrong. It's not wrong at all because we're supposed to go to all the nations, Judea, Samaria, beyond. That's not wrong. But that's not all. See, because when I think it's a missionary's job to do the Great Commission, I can excuse myself. Well, I'm not called to go to fill in the country. I'm not called to travel overseas and spread this message. So I will just support someone who does, and that way I can accomplish the Great Commission. That's great if you don't understand the Greek behind this word go. See, the, the real meaning in this word go isn't just to go. It's as you are going. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. Uh, suddenly we're back on the hook. Because as I'm going means as I'm going to work. As I'm interacting with my family. As I'm coaching the whatever team my kids are on. As I'm attending school plays, football games. As I live and breathe, I am to make disciples. No one gets off the hook here. Now, if that makes you feel anxious, good. Because <laughs> that heart rate, that pump that you feel right now is going to give you the energy to figure this thing out. So as we are going, we are making disciples. Now, I preached on that before, but here's the part that hit me this time. And, and here's this, the focus I really want to dig into. What are we teaching them? To obey. Teaching them to obey. Now, 
think about. When you think of the Great Commission, you think, I'm going to tell the good news. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. But there's a big difference between information and application. Information versus application. When you teach someone towards application, it's a whole different level. You can't just say, here's who Jesus is. Here's what he said. He's a great guy. You should follow him. Done. Nope. We're not done because we've taught them about Jesus, but we haven't taught them Jesus. Do you see the difference? We'll give you a very practical example about how to share information and not necessarily make it to the behavioral change. I had a college roommate who loved to cook, but did not love to clean. This is not an actual picture of our kitchen. So we lived together. He cooked all the time. He was terrible about cleaning up. And at first, I was like, oh, you know, I, I can help here and there. And I was like, no, this is his responsibility. He's a big boy. We're, we're all grown-ups here. And so I began to say, you should clean your dishes. Do you think that worked? No. So then I thought, well, he needs a reason. And so I began to espouse the value of cleanliness and how he wouldn't attract bugs and they wouldn't get into his stuff and his food. Do you think that worked? No. It's still information. Still information that did not make any difference at all. And so uh, it was one day on a Sunday that I was not there. I got a phone call from my mother. And she said, hey, are you doing okay? I was like, oh, that's random and weird. It's like, why would I not be doing okay? It's like, yeah, yeah, everything's great. Oh, well, uh, so your dad and I were out uh, in the neighborhood passing by and driving back, and we stopped by your place because they had a key. And they saw a mountain of dishes that was above the kitchen window. And they're wondering, what in the world, Bill? We raised you better than this. Well, this was my protest phase, where I absolutely refused to do any dishes. And I was going to show him how bad it could get. It just so happened that my parents came through and saw how bad it was. And they were worried about me. They were generally concerned. Because still, the information had not made it to behavioral transformation. I hadn't taught him to obey, so to speak. Which is, by the way, very tricky when you're talking to other adults. And then we landed on the solution. Are you ready for the solution? He invited a girl over for dinner. <laughs> you have never seen a place get more clean than that. It was amazing. In fact, it was so amazing that after about two weeks, I was like, hey, are you going to invite Susan over again? <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to her. <laughs> and a clean kitchen, by the way. He was a, he was a great cook, but that, that made the difference. That understanding of, oh, there's... <laughs> There's a need for application of this stuff, and now I'm motivated. And, and henceforth, I would like to say that the kitchen was always clean, but only as often as Susan was invited over, which I was okay with, right? Um, by the way, my wife saw part of that whole adventure as well, and uh, I'm just, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how you know it's true love, right? She's still sticking around. It's pretty awesome. All right, so... We need to teach them to obey. Uh, think about trying to teach someone how to do something and apply it. Now, there's a couple of ways you can do this, but there's also a couple of ways that you don't want to do this. So here's how to not teach people to obey. Uh, fear, sarcasm, and ridicule, the, the big three. That, that's probably not a good way to make this stick. Legalism, you need to do this, and, and here's the way that you do it, and here's the, all the rules behind it. Again, it's information, but it's not necessarily going to lead to transformation. So this is Jesus' biggest problem with the Pharisees. 
was their legalism. They heaped on all these rules, but they weren't really helping people apply their faith. They weren't helping people to uh, be transformed by their love for God. So legalism's probably not a good way. Condemnation, mm, there's, there's better motivators. And here's the problem with all of these things. As long as someone is looking over your shoulder, telling you what to do, uh, con condemning you, or using fear, sarcasm, and ridicule, it'll get done. But how long do you think that lasts when that voice isn't over your shoulder anymore? Yeah, hence this episode I just described happened at college when we were away from home because there was nobody to enforce the standard. And the problem with an external standard is what happens when you're on your own? There's nobody to tell you this. So it just kind of fades away. It needs to be an internal motivation. So this is how not to do it. And I ran across this, day, uh, this uh, diagram from a guy named Dave Buring in a national church in Washington, D.C., and I thought I'd share it with you. He says there's really three pieces to this whole teaching them to obey thing. It starts with revelation. It goes through obedience. And then happens the transformation. So think about this. Now, God is the one who reveals. That's not from us. This is, this is wisdom that comes from above. Then it comes to us for the obedience part. That's our part in this. If we have this revelation and if we obey, then we will be transformed by God again. So what's an example of this? If you remember when uh, Jesus was asking, you know, here's what the people say that I am. Who do you say that I am? Anybody remember that episode where Peter says, well, you're the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say back to him? You have, this has been revealed to you. This is not you, Peter. This is God revealing to you who I am. That's the revelation. So then what happens? The disciples fall into a habit of obedience. And Christ even tells them, he links it directly in several places in Scripture, not to mention uh, John 14 is one of the most prominent. If you love me, then you will obey my commands. Not out of fear, sarcasm, and ridicule. Not out of legalism. And he's not condemning you if you don't. He's saying, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. Because I know that at the end of that, you will be transformed. I wonder how many of us miss this transformation. You know, we, we say life is different here all the time, but is it? And, and there's only two ways that this can go wrong in this model. One is I have no revelation from God. Well, that's why we do things like study scripture. That's why we pray. That's why we come together and seek his face in moments like this in worship. We're asking God to reveal to us. But then the second problem might be, well, do we obey what we see? Because, man, life is pretty comfortable, right? And God has some really uncomfortable things. Did, really, Lord? You want me to do what? No. And when we say no to God, we say no to transformation. And life isn't different. Life is the same. Maybe even worse. If we really want life to be different, we have to get the revelation. We have to be obedient. And then we will see Revelation, I mean, transformation. So this Dave guy in Washington, D.C. says, if you ever run into a problem, if you're mentoring or you're in a part of a community group or something, you're trying to help people in this process. And by the way, this is a mutual process. This isn't me telling you what to do. This is me going, I got this revelation and I'm struggling with this. I'm having trouble obeying this. I need some accountability. 
That's one of the beauties of a community group. They can hold you lovingly accountable. Not so that you can be, you know, the legal expert, not so that you can be pure and blameless in your own eyes, but so that you can experience transformation. That's the goal here. So we can get help with that obedience. We can get help from God with revelation, but we have to pursue it. And if we are in that mentoring relationship and somebody has problems with that obedience part, like they know they should do something, but they aren't, then here's what Dave recommends that you do. You do a U-turn and come back to that revelation. What is it that God's telling you? What is it that you're not seeing that is going to lead you to obedience? The old rugged cross is the perfect example. The song that we sang this morning, man, (laughs) picture that whole scene. Picture what Jesus went through, and the song says it perfectly. He gave up everything. He gave up the glory of heaven. He came down. He assumed the shape of a man. He went through all this madness with his disciples. He was unjustly accused. He was beaten, scorned, mocked. He should have been dead just from the beating he received, let alone the cross he was hanging on. And in the face of all of that, here's the character of God revealed. Father, forgive them. Who says that? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They haven't had the revelation. That's the character of God. When when you go through that whole sequence, I mean, if if you've got the stomach for it, watch the passion of Christ. If you're struggling with revelation of what God wants, watch the passion of Christ and then tell God, no, I'm not going to do what you're asking of me. And if you can do that, man, let's talk. Because you got some grit. <laughs> Searching for the word here. The filter's a little slow this morning. <laughs> yeah, once that revelation, there's nothing that I would say no to God if I had that revelation. Now, I am human. I don't know if you are, but I am. And I struggle with obedience. I can't do this on my own. My own willpower is not enough. And that's why I hang around other people that will make me better. That community group that I can say, hey guys, I need some prayer. Hey guys, can you help me get through this? If you don't have that, we have community groups. They're kicking off right now. I would encourage you to jump on board. It's a great place to experience that move towards transformation. At the end of the day, I love this quote. I don't know who this person is, but I love this quote. Instructing people to obey Christ's command is part of the Great Commission. It's not enough to teach the facts about Christ. We are to teach, exhort, and train disciples to obey and live according to the commands of Christ. See, God doesn't need secret agent Christians. God doesn't need people who have a a mission that is so secret they don't even know they're on a mission. God needs us to share that message. God needs us to see his love. Look into the face of the character of God that would send his only son to die for us. Look into the life of Jesus that would seek the lost, that would go through everything he went through to hang on a cross and rise again. And in that revelation of God the Father and God the Son, understand this. There is a Holy Spirit right now that will help us, remind us of everything that Jesus said, remind us of everything that Jesus taught so that we can help with the revelation, so that we can help our obedience and others' obedience, so that we can transform ourselves 
and in turn transform the world. What is the mission of the church? Make disciples, teaching them to obey. What is the mission of WordServe? We voted on this as a leadership team about a year and a half ago to change what was called guiding people to grow as joyful servants of Jesus. Say that 10 times fast. You know what we changed it to? Make, making disciples. That's it. That's what we do. That's what God asks of us. Now the only question that remains, will we obey? This is our mission. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for such a great calling, a great calling that reminds us to share the good news. God, my prayer is that you would put on our hearts to do that in whatever ways that we can and whatever people that we know. God, so frequently it's easy for us to say, oh, that's the missionary's job, or everybody I know is already a Christian. <clears throat> God, help us to look past that surface. Help us to look past that everybody's a Christian, but is everybody obeying the teachings of Christ? Because there's a difference. God, as I see the world around us, we are increasingly disconnected from our revelation of who you are, which means we're increasingly disconnected from the mission that you've given us, which means that we're not on a good trajectory. But God, you are a God who can turn anything around. You can take an old rugged cross and make it a symbol of victory. You can take the grave which speaks of finality and open it and say there is no finality, there is only eternity. You can take a broken and humbled person, reveal to them who you are, and through our obedience transform us into something that we can't even imagine the power of the one who loves us more than anything flowing through us to this world transform us in this God so that we in turn can transform the world through your Holy Spirit for your glory in Jesus name Amen